Please understand that when I read a book like any book of the Bible, I read it first with the idea, Lord, teach me, change me, mold me, shape me. And so that's the first thing that happens. It gets filtered through that. But then after all of that, and it's a separate occasion, then I go for these long walks. And I love my long walks with the Lord. And where I'm like, Lord, now show me what, how, how you want me to deliver this to your people. That's a very different occasion. Because I don't want it just to be like, all right, blah, 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 and, you know, that kind of thing. And so today, what we have in chapter 31, in essence, are six addresses. Seven, really, because God speaks twice to Moses in a row. And, uh, and what's interesting is each one of those comes with a simple exhortation. I mean, the, the, the four chapters that remain, and let me just say, like I would any time, please never just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Please let the scriptures be your authority. Uh, so please hear me on this. Uh, the, instead of making this like one sort of long message, because there are these, in essence, seven addresses, each with a simple exhortation that might start with the word get. Uh, my prayer is what we'll do is we'll go through each portion, stop for a minute and pray. Then we'll go through the next section, stop for a minute and pray, so that we could really focus on each of these for a moment. Because my guess, well, actually, I'm just certain, and I'm not even guessing on this, I'm not confident that at least one of these, if not many more than one, are directly addressing each one of us. I mean, in other words, God's got a word for every one of you, regardless of where you are, and me too, through this text. So I want to go to the Lord immediately in prayer. We'll get our context, and we'll jump right in. So pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you for your presence. Clearly, Lord, you're here. And you've come to seek and save. You've come to deliver freedom to the captives. Bring light to the blind. Strength to the lame. Hearing to the deaf. You've come today, Lord, to open the eyes of our hearts to show us who you really are. Lord, in this corporate setting where we, Lord, on this beautiful, amazingly warm day are enjoying a very warm building. This seems to be a building of extremes. And so, Lord, today in the warmth of this room, don't let us dwell off into the land of Nod. Don't let us drift off, Lord, but captivate us in your word. Lord, that this isn't just us coming and sitting down and then leaving and thinking that that's what you really wanted. But encountering you in your word in such a way, Lord, that we could hear you and know you and want you and love you. That we would know you and fear you and obey you and teach others to do the same. To know you, love you, to fear you, obey you. teach others to do the same. So let your word burst open and come alive for us. Minister profoundly to every need in this room. More than just symptoms, Lord, but to the very, very core, to the cause, bring cure. Not just therapy to the symptoms. And may we walk out of here changed people that look like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Israel entered into a covenant, well, as we went through it, in essence, Israel entered into a covenant called, if you will, the covenant of law and altar. And the emphasis in the two was, what one was your means of righteousness? With the law, and he tells us that that becomes the trouble in chapters 27 through 30, the problem with the law, trying to do it by your performance, and it's so easy to do that, is that with that comes the curse if you don't do it perfectly. With that comes death if you don't do that perfectly. And if you're relying upon anything, God is looking for perfection. And if anything you have to offer is perfect, might I say the only thing I have to offer that is perfect is perfectly needy. There is nothing I can offer God that is perfect. Even my surrender isn't perfect. My performance certainly isn't. My heart certainly isn't as much as I would love for it to be. But I've learned this, that by God's great grace, he did offer one thing perfectly for us, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is perfect, tempted in every way, yet without sin. 
died on the cross, though perfect, rose again perfectly. And I have the opportunity to choose Jesus, the only perfect choice I can make. That's the altar. If you remember, the altar was at this particular altar, at the foot of the mountain. The mountain, do you remember, if you remember, Ebal and Gerizim, which one was the Mount of Blessing, Ebal or Gerizim? Gerizim, excellent. What was the Mount of Curse then? Ebal. Where was the law put at the Mount of Cursing or the Mount of Blessing? The Mount of Cursing. Where was the altar put? Ebal, the Mount of Cursing. Excellent. Because God wants to meet us at the Mount of Cursing. And there, where the law stands before us to try us, is the perfect surrender of a burnt offering, complete surrender, and then a peace offering where that, where two parties were once enemies are now have made peace. And there's our testimony of Jesus. Not meeting us at the mountain of blessing first, but at the cursing, because that's where we've deserved by the law. And we have the right to choose a life to be right by the law or a life to be right by the altar. And so at the end of that, if you remember, Moses says that he sets before them then blessing or cursing, life or death. And he uses a word that for some Christian circles, with all due respect, they cringe when they hear it, and that is the word choose. But that's what Moses says. Choose life. I set before you blessing and cursing, life or death. Choose life that you and your descendants would live after you. And that takes us to our text here. The following four chapters, the remaining last four chapters, prepare us for Joshua. In this chapter, in the simplest sense, verses 1 through 6, Moses will speak to all Israel. Verses 7 and 8, Moses will speak to Joshua. And then in 9 through 13, Moses will speak to the Levites, the priest Levites. Verses 14 through 22, the Lord will speak to Moses. Verse 23, the Lord will speak to Joshua. And then verses 24 to 30, Moses will speak to the ark-bearing Levites. So if you think of it, think of it as two triplets. Mo to Israel, Mo to Josh, and Mo to the Levites. And then the Lord to Mo, and the Lord to Josh, and then Moses to the Levites. And that's how the chapter runs. So go with it now, and we'll see our exhortations. And they're carefully in order. And what we're going to see is a theme. Three different times there will be the same exhortation. Look at it with me. Chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Interesting, in Deuteronomy 34, the commentary that will be made in verse 7, says that Moses was 120 years old when he died. We see that here. And it says his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And I think that's interesting. In other words, Moses was as vibrant and a fireball and just as tough and full on. The day he died, it was the day he was born which must be a funny death scene. I'm sorry, that I, 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 pardon, that's the Western European part of me that's like, that that's almost humorous. But it's like, oh, I'm still around! And then he dies. I mean, there's this, it's almost like an opera that way. But understand here that as Moses walked with the Lord, it just didn't seem like age really affected him. But yet he tells the people, I'm 120 years old now, but the Lord has told me my time's up. The Lord, your God, verse 3, crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may, be, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. In our first address, Moses speaks to all of Israel. All of Israel will include the Levites, by the way. All of Israel will include Joshua. And he says, my time's up. And as my time is up, you're going to have to make this you and God. If you're relying on me, you're going to have trouble. And there comes a time when you need to realize that. That every person, in essence, needs to go up the mountain himself. 
And that is in our prayers. That is in our ministry. That is in our Bible reading. There comes a point where you have to realize this has to start with you and him. Not you, him, and a pastor. Not you, him, and a church. You and him, and you and him alone. Because if you don't do that, you will always live a limping walk with Christ. Because nothing else can you lean on will be perfect. Nothing else can you refer to that will give you perfect counsel but God and his word. Only he will offer perfect as perfect comes from perfect. Only he can do so. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, when Philip has been joined to the Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the wilderness, in robber's alley, he begins the conversation as he asks this diplomat, the treasurer to Queen Candace of Ethiopia, what are you reading? And the guy asks, how could I even understand unless someone explains it to me? The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, he'd come back with a scroll of Isaiah at least. Now that tells me the guy had some kind of money because it isn't like that was a souvenir everyone could get at the temple. These were handwritten. On your own time, for fun, handwrite out Isaiah yourself and see how long it takes. It's 66 chapters. And I think that poor man went to worship and he went to Jerusalem and he came back empty. Now, let's face it, you can come to the feast and you can go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and not eat anything because that's still your choice. So there are times where you can show up where the buffet is and still walk away hungry and it isn't the buffet's fault. But there are other times where you can show up and there's no food. Oh, there might be a lot of other things, singing and dancing, fun, laughter, doing laps, whatever. And you can feel a sense of belonging, but it isn't Jesus. You can feel a sense of fellowship, but it's not around Jesus. You can hear someone talk, but it's not about Jesus. And you walk out and you're hungry. But this man was convinced that he wouldn't even understand Scripture unless somebody explained it to him. Here's the good news. God would take a guy out of the middle of a revival and stick him into the middle of a wilderness just to get this guy. Because if this guy was looking for God, God was going to get him. If this guy was hungry, God was going to find him. And the same is the same for you. The first challenge is get personal. You cannot expect to prosper no matter where you go. You can go and get spiritual energy drinks. There are places in London, no doubt, you can go and it will, you'll be buzzing. And I'm not telling you it's not the Lord. What I'm telling you is if you don't have a really personal walk with the Lord, all it's going to be is an energy drink. Have you ever drank an energy drink on an empty stomach? You'll shake and freak out. It has very negative effects. Might I say that if you don't have a personal walk with the Lord and you go there, you may experience something, but I'm not too sure it will actually be of your greatest benefit. Now, please hear me on this. God refers to his own history. He says, don't you realize the giants we've already taken down? Sihon and Og, don't you remember how they were invincible in your eyes? But I took them down already. So stop worrying about it. Interesting for what it's worth, Sihon and Og become a landmark. There are a landmark God will refer to in Numbers 21, Deuteronomy 2, 3, 4, 29, 31, Josh 2, 9, 12, 13, Judges 11, Nehemiah 9, and Psalms 135 and 136. It's quite often you'll refer to Remember, and here's the point. God doesn't have a problem reminding you of those moments of great victory because we tend to forget those. We can remember great moments of struggle. It's the victory that we struggle with. And at the end of this, and I remind you, this is Moses speaking to the people. And he says, do not fear, but rather, notice in verse 6, be strong and of good courage. The word strong, could you say the word chazak? Chazak is an important word because if you read, for instance, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, it's this, or the Lord hardening a heart, it's this word. It doesn't mean change. Understand, this word does not mean change. God never changed Pharaoh's heart. The word means to firm up. In other words, you were once flabby, and now you're no longer flabby. You're firmed up. Strengthen. Be strong. 
And Moses is speaking to the people and he says, listen, you need to firm up. This is not a season for spirit, for the spiritually flabby. This is a time to start working. I remember how Paul said he buffets his body. He works out. Not like in the sense that I never thought that I'd see Paul in, for instance, LA, you know, LA Fitness. But I would expect to see Paul working out with the Word. And Paul working out in prayer. And Paul exercising. Think about what flab is. You are taking in more than you are exercising. Let me say that again. How do we become spiritually flabby? We take in more than we exercise. This is be strong. But also of good courage. The word there is the word amatz. Could you say amatz? Okay, thank you. How about the rest of you? Amatz. Amatz means to be strong, means to be alert, it means to be courageous or to be brave, and means the kind of person that is actually busy stepping forward. I'm aware of the fact that Western Europe views Americans often as cocky because of what they appear to be confident. I'll be honest, there are some that are quite confident. I was never confident until I found Jesus. But because I've found Jesus and he has found me, I have nothing but confidence, not in myself, but in him. Because he never fails. It was David who said, I'm young. I was once young and now I'm old. Usually that's the way that works. He says, in all of that time, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And David would easily have been able to have noticed that. So can I say in the first part of this, I challenge you, be strong and of good courage. And notice it says, do not fear or be afraid. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Interesting, the word fear, yare, is the most common. It's the run-of-the-mill generic word for fear. Usually it means that you feel, in essence, helpless to whatever it is that stands against you. The word afraid now is a, is a stronger word here. The word that is the word that means to tremble, to dread, to be terrified. But I want to warn you that every time God says this, the answer will always be the same reason. He doesn't just say, stop freaking out, stop being afraid. He says, listen, stop being afraid because. Do not fear because. Fear not because. Genesis 25, 24 to Isaac. Do not fear, for I am with you. Genesis 46, 3 to Jacob. Do not fear. I will go down with you. I'm with you. I'll go down with you to Jacob. Numbers 14, Joshua and Caleb, as they viewed those people on the other side of the Jordan, the same place that they're at now, viewing, knowing that that's what they're going to cross. It was Joshua and Caleb said, do not fear. God says, God has delivered them in her hand. He's with us. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. When Moses is standing before Sihon and Og, the very things that God uses now as landmarks of his own victory in Numbers 21-34, God says to Moses, don't fear. I'm with you. I've delivered them into your hand. Isaiah 41-10 says, fear not, I'm with you. He says, don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. Yes, I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43.5 says, don't fear, because I'm with you. Jeremiah says in 46.28, don't fear, O Jacob, my servant, because I'm with you. Do you get the idea of what God's saying? The one reason why we should never fear is if you've accepted the gift of Jesus. He's with us. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 says it this way, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your hearts, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out the enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. God calls himself, by the way, the King of Israel. The Lord in your midst. You won't see disaster like this anymore. And that day it will be said of Jerusalem, don't fear. Don't let your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. And He will rejoice over you with singing. Is that the God you know? One who sings over you? One who delights in you? One that quiets you with His love? And Haggai, as he's there, sent to a group of people who were rebuilding the city, but had stopped for fear of the opposition. 
And he says Haggai in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Be strong, Zerubbabel, who headed up that particular building project. Be strong, Joshua, who is the high priest of that day, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of the Lord, says, Lord or all the people of the land, says the Lord, and get to work, because I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And when Jesus sent his own disciples out in Matthew 28, verse 19, when he says, Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Notice the word therefore. We forget that word. Therefore, because the thing Jesus said before that is, all authority has been given to me. Now, go therefore. What Jesus says is, because I have all authority, I'm granting you authority now. Because I am the boss, I have the right to, to elect you as a representative, as an ambassador, as an authority. So, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them. Go into all the world and baptize them. Make them disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and lo, or my, I, where I come from, it would be like, yo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. No matter what it is he calls us to do, he's with us. But there's something that really kind of struck me as I continue to think this through. And I had the most beautiful time in prayer with the Lord this morning asking this. And the Lord just kind of spoke and he says, look, at, there's two with you's that's kind of important to note. I mean, the first one's rather simple. I can look and say, right now, you're all with me. In the sense that in this room, we're all in the same room. As long as I broad enough and whatever I define the area, you're with me. But even as I share this, the question is, are you with me? Are you actually walking the direction? Are you agreeing with the direction God's leading us in this? You don't have to. And that's what Moses is saying. And I realize in this, the issue is not whether the Lord is with me, but the issue is whether I'm with him. The Lord's like, this is where I'm going. Are you with me? And I just, yeah, I think maybe it just comes from where I come from when they're like, are you with me? And you know, they're like, yeah. there's some kind of like rousing something because the idea is quite simple. The Lord's like, I'm, in a, I'm moving in a direction. You're coming with me. I'm leading you in this. And if I'm leading you in this, are you with me? Because I'm with you. I am for you. I'm not for your destruction. I'm not for your selfish pleasures. I am for you. In other words, I want your benefit more than you do. So here's the first of them. Now, needless to say, the rest may pick up, but they're going to have to. Is that we need to get personal. Do you have a quiet time? A time where you read the Bible and you ask God to speak to you? I mean, if you actually ask God to speak to you, or do you just read because you feel like God will be pleased if you did? You're like, well, I don't get everything. Great. Imagine what you would do with everything. It tells us knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. The issue is God, speak to me. And as I read, I don't want to, I don't want to leave here until you have. And there are times where I feel like I'm raining cats in. Like I'm trying to herd cats, and those are my thoughts. They're every direction at the same time. It's like the moment I, it's like everything was peaceful. I open up the Bible, and it's like the dog went into the pigeons, and everything's flying. What in the world happened? But then I'm like, Lord, conquer this right now. Take every thought captive and speak to me. And if you think that what you might share from Scripture is unimpressive, listen to what the enemy's taught you in. Listen how he's already made, automatically allowed you to disqualify yourself. If the Lord has spoken anything to you, isn't that a miracle? The rest of the world's looking for answers from people who are not gods and not getting anything. And you're like, well, all I got is this should change. Well, maybe that's the one thing he wanted to share with you right now for that purpose. And now, this commercial break. I'm sorry. All right, so follow me in this. Okay, sorry. Um, as we pray for this moment, let me ask you, do you have a personal walk with God? I'm not talking about, first of all, have you gone to church? I'm not asking you, do you make some claim and do you think God owes you something because of some service you've rendered? Do you have a personal relationship with God? And let me, let me say again, the only way that that can happen is with something perfect offered. And the only perfect offering cannot be our actions, our intentions, our, our whatever. You say, my intentions were perfect. For how long? The only thing that's perfect is Jesus Christ. And if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. It starts with saying yes to the fact that Jesus died on, this, on the cross as a perfect complete sacrifice so that we could have peace with God. Those were those two sacrifices at the altar. So before we go any farther, 
I want to pray right now that, we, that if you want to accept that gift. Notice, I don't, I'm not even trying to talk you into it. I'm just telling you there's a choice to make. And I'm telling you, you can make that choice right now. And God could transform you right now. Here's the good news. It's his job to convince you. But for if you have prayed that prayer, can we get back to that, Lord, make it personal, you and me? Everything gets added to that, but that's where it starts. Because for the changes the Lord's going to do in our lives, we better keep our eyes on him. This is going to have to get personal. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this first exhortation to get personal with you. And I pray right now, Lord, for every one of us who has made a claim to a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, for all the things that have muddied that up. For all the things, Lord, and the, the, whatever it is that we hear and the winds of things that blow, Lord, to keep our eyes, to get them off of you and start thinking somehow we need to wander to something else as if something else is going to satisfy what only you can. Lord, I pray right now you get back to where it's just us and you. Where our prayer is actually a dialogue where we ask you to reshape our hearts and our minds, where we ask you to transform us even today. Oh, Lord, please. Please, Lord, get us back to just us and you. And Lord, if there be any in this room who have yet to say yes to you, let this be the moment. And if you want to make that choice to say yes, listen to this prayer at the end. I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. Like all men are sinners. You paid the price for all of my wrong on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ, who died on that cross for my sins, was buried and rose again, just like Scripture promised. So I accept that gift, choosing Jesus as my sacrifice, accepting him as my Lord and Savior. I hand my life to you and say, Lord, now start my life at the core, our relationship between me and you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Moses has spoken to the people, and now he moves to Joshua. In verse 7, it says, Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, be strong and of good courage. Does that sound familiar? Same words, by the way. You must go with the people to the land in which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them. You shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Do you see the commonality between those two? Notice he told them not to fear. Notice he told them, by the way, why? Because the Lord goes before him. Notice he told them to be strong and of good courage. The same words, by the way, katsakandamats. Interesting, the one thing that has been added now is this word dismay. Did you notice that? The word dismay for what it's worth, and it's an interesting word here, is the word chata. Could you say chata? Come on, try it. It's a fun word. Chata. Chata means to be broken or to shatter or to be taken down in pieces. Now notice what he's saying. Up to this point, Joshua has been the robin. He has been the Hawkeye. He's been the sidekick. Not anymore. Moses looks at him and he says, now is the time for you to step up, boy. It is time for you to take this and run. It is time for you to stop leaning on someone else and actually making this walk your own. But it's going to be more than just this personal thing. That's where it starts. The second is get moving. Number one, get personal. Number two, get moving. This is a Christian walk, not a Christian land. You're going to have to start moving forward. He's saying, Joshua, it is time for you now to take the baton and take this and start leading the people. I want you to start realizing it is time for you to assume responsibility for your own walk and start moving forward. Now think about the things that could stop that. You, and then there's you, and then there's you, and then there's yourself. It could be your past, it could be your present, it could be your friends, it could be the whatever, but in the end of it all, it's still you. So can I just strip away all of the lies for a moment and get it down to this? Either you're going to walk with the Lord or you're going to choose not to. You can say, well, I still have these things. Well, then lay them before the Lord. And you say, well, I have. Well, then continue to lay them before him. 
It may be an aerobic exercise, but I can tell you this. The Lord will move you forward. And you know what's interesting? It's the moment that it's like, look, God wants to change you. He wants to move you forward. He doesn't want you staying the person you are right now, even if you think the person you are right now isn't so bad. Maybe better than you were. That means you're on a trajectory. Don't stop now. And if that be the case, can I say then, it is time. Maybe some of you were moving and you've become complacent. What do you want to blame that on? Do you want to blame that on what? The world around you? Society? The bottom line is the Lord calls you to move forward with him. And if you follow him, he's going to change you. So I want to go to prayer in our second area. It's in this area where all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. I might have to step out of my comfort. Listen, some of you, the farthest you'll get is to the point where you have to serve and then you won't serve. You'll get to the point where you'll let God tell you what not to do and you'll not do what he tells you not to and you feel like you've gone far. It's a great place to go, but it's not a great place to live. But then sooner or later he's going to tell you now you're going to need to start stepping up and doing something. And you go, mm, no, I better just change. I'm just going to go somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to whatever. Because if I can do that, I can start all over again and make it look good that I'm not doing what I used to do. But understand, that's half of the journey. Somewhere down the line, you discover your calling. And God has never called a single Christian to lay down and, and, and play dead. And if you think, well, I don't do what I used to do, praise God. Now, will you start doing what you're supposed to? So, Lord, in our second prayer, I pray that we would get moving. We would get moving forward with you. Lord, keep us from just living a life that's constantly moving sideways instead of forward. That we would grab a hold of your promises just the same way that Moses is challenging Joshua now to move forward in in your promises. He's saying there's a promise for you, Joshua, to to take this now and move forward. Well, Lord, keep us. and, And I know, Lord, people that it's like they recycle. They recycle their life. I knew pastors that it just seems like they would, and once they ran out of sermons, they'd just go somewhere else to do those same three years of sermons. But somewhere down the line, Lord, you've got to move them forward. And I thank you, Lord, for the way that you've called us to move forward and not just keep moving sideways to a new thing and a new group and a new whatever so that we could just kind of be cool in that thing until they recognize that what we're supposed to be doing is moving on the track. And then now it's just cool that we're just there. And Lord, for some of us, that may mean that there are things that we are doing that we have to stop doing. People that we're really snuggling up with that we should stop snuggling up with. Lies that we would be embracing, Lord, that we know are lies. Whatever it is, Lord, for some of us, it's to start moving forward in ministry. To start serving people and to start surrendering. And when the cross of our own that's supposed to be picked up to follow you daily becomes evident, Lord, what do we do at that moment? Because that's where we really start moving forward. So I pray we could get moving. And I know this, Lord, as we get moving, people will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen, number one, get personal. Number two, get moving. Your turn. Number one. Number two. Okay, one more time. Number one. Number two. Okay, and then Moses spoke this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, in verse 9. Who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And to all the elders of Israel, Moses commanded them now. And he said, at the end of seven years, every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, that's the third of the required feasts of the year, your God in the place in which he chooses, the Lord your God in the place in which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and the little ones and the strangers who is within your gates, that they may hear Number one, that they would hear. Number two, that they would learn to fear the, the Lord, your God. And three, to carefully observe the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live in the land in which you cross, cross the Jordan to possess. Interesting. Now, by the way, for what it's worth, back in Deuteronomy 15, he told us that at the end of every seventh year, there's a land rest. There's also a time of restoration. All the visceral debts get canceled. Now, in the 50th year, even the land debts get canceled. The land goes back to whoever it belongs to. You can't own someone else's land for more than 50 years, really for more than 49 and a half. And he goes, when all of that happens, I want you to get reading. I want you to get in, and I want you to do this. I want you to be in my word so that, listen, so you could hear my word, so you would do this. And notice what it says in verse 12, that you would hear it, 
that you would learn to fear me and therefore you would observe or you would obey. And then, you know, as a result of that, your children will do the same. You can't teach children to obey, but you can demonstrate and challenge them to. They can learn from your example what it looks like to submit to authority. And it says, listen, when you open up the word, are you willing to listen? And if you are willing to listen, what you'll discover is how awesome God is, and you will revere him. That's our word there, Yane. Remember, I'm little and helpless in your sight. And as a result of that, you'd obey him. Do you know why I think we don't obey God sometimes? We don't fear him. Now, I'm not talking about that we dwell and we tremble. Remember, that was a different word. This is that word that says, I'm little, you're big. And the more we see him that way in our hearts, the more we'll do what he says. And the more that we do what he says, the more that those around us will be affected. So listen, get personal, get moving, and get reading the word of God. Number one is? Number two? You get moving. What's the third one? You get reading. Lord, I pray, as you told us in First Peter, as newborn babes in you to desire the pure milk of your word that we would grow thereby. You've told us that every word in your scripture is breathed by you, useful for correcting and teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness, that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Lord, I pray that you give us a fresh hunger for your word, not that we expect to understand everything, but we expect to understand what your Holy Spirit would show us so that we know that you speak to us through that beautiful book. So, Lord, get us reading in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one is? Come on, don't lose steam on me. We're almost out with it. Number one is? Number two? Number three? And that takes us now to the next portion. Now, verse 14. Now it's the Lord's turn to pipe up. Moses has spoken to the people. He's spoken to Joshua. And he has spoken then to the Levites. Now the Lord speaks to Moses, and then the Lord will speak to Joshua. In verse 14 and 15, his first address, 16, 17, 18, 19, really through to 22 is his second. Here's the first. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Have a nice day. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and a pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. God says, you ready for this? God says to Moses, hey Mo, time to die. But don't worry, I have a new person to lead. And I get it. You know what's interesting? When Moses spoke to the people, he told them, don't fear, the Lord's with you. When Moses spoke to Joshua, he said, don't fear, the Lord's with you. Do you know who's not being told not to fear? Moses. Notice God didn't say, you're going to die, don't fear. I get the idea Moses wasn't fearing. Strange. Joshua, our warrior, introduced when he actually steps in in the battle of Amalek in the Valley of Rephaim, he is fearing because he's got to lead these people. But when Moses is dying, I don't see any fear here. How about you? You know what's interesting? The next get is get off. Get off the throne you think you lead and let the right person sit on it and lead you. You know, after this, the Israel and Joshua, the people are going to take the land, and after they take the land, they get comfortable. And once they get comfortable, there'll be a time we know as the time of judges. God blesses them. They take their eyes off the blesser for the blessing. And they veer. They wander. And as they wander, ultimately what happens is that they'll actually start serving other gods. God, as a result of that, will hand them over. They will be oppressed. And as they are oppressed, what ultimately happens is that they will finally hate it so bad that they'll cry out to God and God will restore them. But unfortunately, that will go over and over and over again. Because once he restores them, he blesses them. And once he blesses them, they get comfortable. And once they get comfortable, look at how that works. And here's the point. Is that how does that end? Because for some of us, to be honest, that's the testimony of our lives. Our whole life is that. Our whole life is, oh, you know, the worst thing God could do is really bless me. Because it seems like I'm so quick to turn my back on him when he does. You know what's interesting? You know how that stops? That stops 
It stops by God giving them a king. But it wasn't, at first it was the king they wanted, and it was still the very same thing. But then God gave them the king he wanted. But that king noticed Saul had no interest in getting off the throne. He'll die with a crown on his head, but he will be no king. But when David takes the throne, Israel is blessed. And can I say for you and me as well, if you really think that you can actually say that Jesus is your Lord, but you're trying to rule your life, get off. Get off the throne, you think. And by the way, once you do actually see yourself off of that and let Jesus take his proper place, the son of David, you realize you were never on it. The enemy has been sitting on it, trying to get you to think you were doing it. You've never been on that throne as much as you thought you were. So listen, get personal. That's where we start. Then we get moving. Then we get reading. And then we get off. Get off. As I'm reading, what I realize is I'm not the one that's supposed to be leading this. It has to be him. Lord, if there be anyone here who's fighting you, if there's anyone, including me, Lord, that somehow in this, we are trying to get you to follow our lead. And we're saying, not your will, but mine be done. Lord, please change that now. You've told us, Jesus, that many will say, Lord, Lord, but won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And because you tell them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? But if I'm in your word, I would learn to fear you. And as I learn to fear you, I would learn to obey. As I learn to obey, well, then you'll be blessing those around me to see what that looks like. And they would be so affected. So God, please get me off my throne. Or at least what I think is me on the throne. And take your rightful place upon my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Number one is? Get personal. Get personal. Number two? Get three. Number four? Okay, number, look at the next one, verse, verse 16. And we're now on the other side of this. The Lord said to Moses, and this boy, talk about the news. At this point, I would actually be glad to hand it over to Joshua. Listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and the people will rise and play the harlot with other gods and the foreigners of the land. Where they will go and be among them, they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger will be aroused against them in that day. I will forsake them. Ho, ho, ho. But I thought you said you'd never forsake them. God's like, here's the difference. I will never forsake anyone who hasn't left me. See, they've forsaken him. All God's done at this point is taken his hands off. We'll see the same thing in Romans 1 as well. When it talks about the wrath of God being revealed, it says he gave them over. They were already running there. He just took off the fence. And I'll hide my face from them and they will be devoured. Many evils and troubles shall befall them. And they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God's not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil in which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. (coughs) Now therefore, write down this song for yourself. Teach it to the children of Israel and put it in their mouths that the song will be a witness for me against the children of Israel when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey in which I swore to their fathers. They have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when these many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness. It will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today. Even before I have brought them to the land in which I swore to give them. So Moses wrote down that song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. That will be our next chapter, by the way, will be Moses' song. What God says is, these people have no idea how unfaithful their heart is. Oh, they're so convinced right now that they'll be great. But they're lying to themselves. You know when I get this? Do you know what lying does? Whether it's to ourselves or to others, it breaks fellowship. And we tell people we didn't do it. We tell people that it wasn't what it looked like. Or we tell people we redefine it so it's really not. We do that to God and we do that to others. And what happens is it becomes a, a habit to the place where You don't even realize you're lying anymore. 
I've watched people where it's become so their lifestyle. It's like, you know, they're just, and, they, and they, they're so bent on gnawing on the same bone that's a lie and they can't see it. And they've convinced themselves to the point now where they feel genuine emotions for these lies. And what do you do? How do you restore relationship with that? We're like, no, no, no. And we become, what happens, it almost becomes a game where God starts to convict us and we're already, or somebody addresses us and we immediately already have our battle lines up and we know how to fight and we know how to throw and we say, that's not it or how dare you or whatever. And we know how to do those things. And the reason we do those things is because somehow in it, inside, there's a conviction in our heart that says, this is not what it's supposed to be. You're wrong. And as we say it's wrong, we go, oh, what do I do? No, I'm going to, you know what? I, I'll, I'll lie to myself and say it's not wrong. I'll say to myself, you know what? No, you're wrong. How dare you say that when really, ironically, the reason a person's addressing is they want to restore relationship. And they watch people, and I've seen this, people I love that will, that will lie to my face, and I look at them and I think, you have no idea what I'm trying to do here is get that relationship with you. And they'll say, that relationship just isn't going to happen. Because I'm way too married to my lies. I'm way too caught in this lifestyle to come clean with you because I've been sneaking around or I've been lying, I've been hiding this thing or whatever. And whatever the thing is, and sometimes you just know for a fact it's a lie, but you don't want to get in an argument with them, so you just let them go. But you don't have the relationship you did before, and your heart breaks. I get why God says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what confessing is? Literally, the term is hagalagamos. It literally means homo, the same, logos, logic, reason, words. What we're saying is, God, this is what you called it, and I'm coming clean and saying it is exactly what you say. Isn't that how you restore a relationship like that? And so what happens here, God says, look, you need to write down this song so that when you realize how horrible life gets because you're still lying to yourself and you're still busy trying to somehow get both worlds, live the lie and still have the other things and feel like you're okay, it is time for you to get real. And that's our number five. I need to get real. And say, you know what? I've said it's this, but I'll be honest, it's just gossip. I've said this, it's just a lie. I've said it wasn't a sin, but it really is a sin. I've said this, but it's been a real lie, and I need to come clean. I've been doing this, I've been thinking this, I've been intending this. I realize the reason is because we have whoring hearts. We have hearts that are so bent on chasing empty things for intimacy that we can't get. Instead of the one where it's real and genuine. This morning in my prayer, I wrote this. I wrote down often a bit of my prayers. I wrote, rip out my whoring heart and hurl in its hole a fire that puts to ash all your competition. In its smoldering flotsam, plant a will encased in devotion and a thrive in love, gasping, desperate for you. That's my, that's my prayer. That God would do more than just remove anything that I feel I have a right to or whatever, or lies that I've told myself to where I would believe them. At the core of it all is a whoring heart. Where I would look at those things that were spiritually empty and promise some form of experience or whatever, and they're so empty, while the perfect lover, God himself, waits for me. And I come back filthy. I want God to bless that. And to be honest, how could I possibly thrive in God if I don't get real? How could I possibly thrive with God if a part of my heart's His, but it's so full of emotion for the moment, but my lifestyle is so indicative of a whoring heart? And maybe for some of you, you're with me on this. I'll be honest, I really don't know if I've gotten to the bottom of it. I want to be able to say that I've laid everything and I've sifted through it in such a way that I am confident that everything's completely even and, un- and whole before God. But I'll be honest, I know Jeremiah teaches me that my heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. 
Who can know it? That means my heart's more deceitful than Satan. If it's deceitful above all things. And I can't just say, God, I've reviewed my heart because my heart can lie and say, you're cool. But I can't say, God, rip it out. Rip out my whoring heart and hurl in its hole the fire that puts to ash all your competition. In its smoldering thoughts and plant, a will encased in devotion and a thrive in love, gasping desperate for you. Lord, that's my prayer now for every one of us. As we get to the end of this now, Lord, it is my prayer. Please, God, please let us get real. We recognize, Lord, all the lies and, and, and the games we play to say, no, I'm not doing that, or no, that's not me. That's someone else. How dare you? Or whatever, Lord. Often those the harbingers you would send, Lord, that just let us see them for what they are. They're, they're hints of your holiness, and they are desperate cries from you to restore proper relationship. So if we've been standing too close to the cookies, if we've been looking at anything else other than your will, and even if what it is in the simplest sense is just trying to hand over ourselves to our reason instead of faith, Lord, please, right now, we confess that before you. You have right, Lord, to do more than search and seize the elements of our heart, but rather, Lord, to replace completely. We want to get real with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, get personal. Number two, get moving. Number three, okay, number four. Number five, get real. Here's our last part. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun. This is God, by the way, who did that. God inaugurated Joshua. And God says, be strong and of good courage. That's not familiar. For you shall bring the children into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Did you notice again? I'll be with you. Interesting, because I wonder if Joshua, he must have been there to hear what God just said to Moses, right? I mean, imagine, he just said, all these people are going to turn off. After you die, they're going to go off whoring. And then he's like, oh, and Joshua, now it's your turn to lead them. How would you feel? I could see why God would say, be strong and of good courage. Same words, by the way, as prior. It's interesting what he's telling them is in the simplest sense, get leading. It is time for you to actually do something more than just a little bit. Get to the point where you start assuming responsibility for others like you should and genuinely care enough to want to see them grow. Invest. Start investing in others. Joshua, get leading. You know what's interesting? It is a theme throughout all of Scripture. In Acts chapter 20, Moses, I'm sorry, Moses, hello. Paul, just checking to see if you're listening, speaks to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, and he says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Hey, for some of you, it's about time for you to do more than just, I'm cool. I've done something. It tells us even in marriage that for that reason, a boy shall leave his father and mother and become a man. Boys, don't, boys make terrible husbands. It's time to become the adult. Colossians 4, Paul speaks to Archippus. He says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you perceived in the Lord. Apparently, Archippus wasn't doing it. To Timothy, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.14, Don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given you by prophecy in the laying out of hands. In his last book, 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy again by chapter 1, verse 6, and he says, Therefore I remind you, stir up the gift which is in you through the laying out of hands. Timothy, get busy. And what's clear when you read the Timothy letters is Timothy's just scared. But isn't that exactly what God just told Joshua? And we're going to see that, by the way, several times at the end of the book of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua. The constant reminder, be courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Don't fear. God's with you. Second Timothy 4, this is what he says, and this is my challenge to you. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Don't just teach it. Preach it means challenge people to do something with it. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching, because the time is going to come, which I believe is now, by the way, when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching, itching ears, itching probably too, but itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Oh, they'll be fine with stories. They'll be fine with fables. They'll be fine with anything but the truth. But you, you better be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Hey, ministry may have started with setting up chairs. Praise the Lord. Your ministry may have started with helping. And by the way, be our guest to help us. You want to help carry stuff to the front when we set up? Well, we would love you for that. You want to help tear down as long as you do it the way we ask? We would love you for that. You want to help sweep and clean up and serve food or whatever? We would love you for that as long as it's in proper order and for the edification of the saints. I'm all for it. But that may be the, then it may not be the end of your ministry. And the idea of fulfilling your ministry is, Timothy, you've done stuff, but it's not to the end God wants. You've kind of gone somewhere down the line and you've jumped off the bus, but you're supposed to take it to the end. Ever done that? Jumped off the wrong stop and gone, oh, great. Since we low off the northern line, you know what that means? We have to wait two trains because the next one's going to go where you don't want it to go because it splits. Not that I'm bitter. And then, of course, you get back. And the idea of it's time to get leading. Timothy's. It's time to step up and say, well, I do this. Cool, but what's next? Archippuses. Take heed to the ministry God's called you to. Ephesian elders, become the shepherds God called you to. Don't just be bosses, be shepherds. So finally, let me say, let's go through those six. And we're down to the last one, beloved, and we're right on time. Okay, so listen, what's number one? Yes, get personal with God. You can't even go beyond that. What's this without it? What's the second one? Yeah, get moving. Now, if we're going to get personal with God, we're going to get moving. If we're going to get moving, how do we get direction? We get reading. Now that we're reading, we start to fear and love God and want to obey Him. So what do we do? Yes, get off the throne and let God do it. And as we get off the throne and let God do it, then get real. Let's get real about our sin. At this point, now that we're following God, we can think we're all that. Jesus is all that. What we are is needing all that. And then finally, as we do that, now what are we to do? Get leading. (laughs) Which gets us to our last one. Verse 24. Some of you lost steam in the middle of that, but that's okay. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law, this book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites. They bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and they said to them, Take the book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion, your stiff neck, God just told me. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord, I wouldn't expect that to improve in my absence. Then how much more after my death? Gather me, gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in your hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. You'll turn aside from the way in which I've commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you have done, you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song that were ended, which really should be attached to the next chapter, because then Moses is going to teach them a song, which is what will be next week. Here's the last of them. You ready? He says, listen. You have the ark. And because you have the ark, you know God's presence is there. And because you have the ark and you know God's presence is there, you know you can approach him. You know it's going to take sacrifice. And so you, somewhere down the line, are becoming aware of grace. But because you come aware of grace, there becomes a problem. You can abuse it. The way that you abuse grace is just saying, I can just do whatever I want, and God's going to forgive me. And it becomes contemporary Christianity and almost a coin. And he says, I want you to take the law and put it next to it. Because remember, when we're reading his word, we learn to fear him, and we learn to obey. And somewhere there has to be a balance. The balance between recognizing our responsibility and recognizing God's serenity. The place where we trust God's grace, but we also take seriously our choices. There's no such thing as cheap grace. You were so expensive. Only one being in all the universe could afford you and it cost him everything. So don't tell me it was cheap. If you could look in the bloodied face of Jesus, the lamb that was slain on your behalf, and say that was cheap grace, you're not looking the same place I am. Not the same one that I can see. 
cost them everything. You can't just look at the law because then what happens is then you become a, a legalist and you, you lose all that relationship. You can't just lean. I mean, everything is about grace, but I love what James says. James is not saying, look, at it's the word. It's like the faith plus works. He's saying a faith that works. Faith that does something. How has it changed you? What's it done to you? So the idea, and I hear this, and it drives me crazy, the idea in, in, among Christian churches that say, well, it's better just to do and ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission beforehand. What kind of relationship do we have with our master if that's what we think we should do? If you really think that what we really need to do is just lean on grace and not see the fact that God calls us to want to change our lives to make us better people. And when we see that, it's advertised, come as you are, but there's no, well, then what? It's like, come as you are, leave as you are, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we had a marquee, we'd say, come as you are, leave as he is. That's the point. So please hear me. The last is get balanced. You know what tells us that God is looking for us to worship him in spirit and in truth? There's a balance there. Spirit means, not. And by the way, it isn't the spirit, but it's spirit. Because the point is that we should be personally and emotionally involved. But truth, we shouldn't just use that as a license to do whatever we feel. It has to fit within the confines of God's scripture. That's spirit and truth. In John 1, it tells us that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's our balance. Grace and truth. Grace, yes. There's nothing that I get I deserve. That's good from God. But there's also truth. And in that truth, I I, I want to, please hear me, I desperately want to be the person you should expect me to be. But the person you should expect me to be is a person that is hot on the tails of Jesus and wanting to be more like him. And that's my heart. My prayer is it's yours too. And for some of us, really, to be honest, we need to start getting balanced. We start, I mean, you start leaning on one side or the other. You lean on one side, you dry up. You lean on the other side, you just blow up. It's like you've heard that. You, you just do the word and you dry up. Or you just do the spirit and you blow up. And you take the word and the spirit and you grow up. That's the idea. And that's what God wants for us. There's that part where there's knowledge, but then there's that part where we live it out. Knowledge should humble us, by the way. I mean, true knowledge of him. Knowledge of stuff puffs us up. But if it gives us the energy to serve, if we take what God's even shown us today and we serve each other and we fall more in love with Jesus, then we're doing what we're supposed to. So please hear me as we go to prayer a final time today on this. Well, not my final time, but here in this corporate setting. My heart is that we really would be balanced. We'd be balanced between our personal walk with God. And can I say, dare I say it, there's this vertical and a horizontal. The vertical are being right with God and recognizing from being right with God through his grace how he wants to use us then to to horizontally touch the world. First, by the way, believers. And how he wants to make this something special. And then use that from the overflow to go and reach the lost. We need to get balanced. Hey, you can go to places and you can certainly find something that's going to be more banging. You can go to other places where you can go and say 42 minutes, not a second beyond it, and you know you're out. And you'll know when to kneel and when to stand. And I'm not picking on either. I think they both have their benefits. But my prayer for every one of us is that we would be balanced. That we would be full-on, hot, fiery passion for God. That our heart would be 100%, but so would our mind. So as we go to prayer, let me ask you again, which of these stands out to you? Which of these is the Lord saying, if just one. Hey, let's get back to being personal again. Do you remember that? Or let's get up and start doing something. Let's start getting moving. Or you know what? You haven't been reading lately because you felt it a chore, but maybe you felt it a chore because you were just trying to get stuff or pay a duty instead of discovering the God of it. Is that where I'm at? It's like, well, then let's get back into his word. So you tell me what they are again. Number one, get personal. Is that yours? Number two, get reading. Yes, get moving. All right, let's, the Lord, teach my feet faith. Number three, get reading. Yes, God, give me a hunger for your word. Number four, 
Yes, get off the throne. Get off the, the high horse you think you're on and let God lead you. Number five? Yeah. You know what? Oh, God, please. Number six? Get leading now. Start taking responsibility for others. And then finally, number seven? Yeah, get balance. So this is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to pray a general prayer, but I would ask if you could grab someone you love around you, lay it before them as well, and take a time and pray for them as well. We have the time to do that. Because I would love for us to encourage each other in these areas. Pray with me, would you? Lord, please today, I recognize, Lord, there's been so much information, Lord, and I know it's been, in essence, Lord, bouncing back and forth in such a way, Lord, that we don't just get sort of a quicker rhythm. And for some, Lord, I know that that could be quite a challenge. But yet, Lord, right now, you've made clear to us that, that this is because you really want a right relationship with us, and you want to use us in ways that will change the world. So God, I just pray right now for every one of these people in here, myself included, for your fellowship, God, that we would get what we need to get today. And Lord, I do pray. I pray, Lord, that we would genuinely be people, Lord, who are honest with you. Lord, if we've been lying to you in some way or to others, Lord, and We think somehow they're dumb because they're not getting it because we're not getting nailed or whatever. Change that now. Change our hearts, Lord, so that we would hunger for the relationship, Lord, that you want so desperately with us. Intimate, unreserved, unimpeded. So, Lord, get us back to that personal where everything comes and spurns from just us and you. And then that, Lord, lead us. Lead us, Lord, to get moving in such a way, Lord, that our feet find faith. Get us hungry for your word, Lord, please. That we would genuinely want to walk with you and expect great things, Lord. And then, Lord, with that, Remove from us, Lord, a will that is in any way in opposition to you, but to call you, Lord, for real. Lord, cause us to get real. To get real, Lord, in such a way. Lord, there'd be no lies. That we wouldn't convince ourselves, Lord, that we're cool when we're not. Or use other things, Lord, as excuses for a weak faith or a weak walk. But, Lord, rather that we will assume responsibility. And as we do, Lord, and recognize our own whoring heart, we ask you to slay them now and replace them with a heart that's desperate for you. That it wouldn't take desperate measures for us to be desperate for you. And, Lord, as you continue to move us forward, teach us to lead, Lord, that we would lead others to you. And that we would lead those who know you, Lord, to further walk with you and use the gifts you've given them to do that which glorifies you and changes the world. And in that, Lord, may there always be that balance between grace, Lord, where we recognize all of it that's good has been given without our deserving. There's still a responsibility, Lord, not to further sin that grace would abound, as Paul would say, how the lie that is. But because of the great grace you've shown us that we would want to live for you completely. So I lay this fellowship in your hands, Lord, and myself as well, and say thank you. Lead us now, Jesus, in your name.